So um, Acts chapter 2 verse 42 says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day uh, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying uh, the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Wow. Uh, It it is amazing. You know, it's so good to just think about what God's done and what God is doing uh, 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 in our city and beyond, you know. And um, uh, it's one of my privileges really uh, to to be involved with Elam missions around the world, with church movements around the world. And uh, even this week I was talking to uh, some of our churches in Africa uh, and just hearing about what God's doing there. I was talking to uh, some of our church planters in Pakistan just a couple of weeks. And in a few, uh, in seven years, they planted 40 churches in Pakistan. Isn't that amazing? You know, we just praise God. This, this couple, we give their lives to it. And they're, they're, they were down in the desert, in the Arabian desert, just uh, preaching and doing mission. And you just hear about what God's doing. You know, God is doing an amazing thing through the church in the world. You know, sometimes we forget that because we take church a little bit for granted, don't we? Um, I'll tell you what, the, uh, the, I came in on Friday afternoon and the boiler wasn't working. And I thought to myself, oh, here we go. This will be interesting. Um, and uh, I had to come down yesterday, meet an electrician, boiler engineer and everything. Because if the boiler wasn't working and it was cold on Sunday, most of us would have stayed away. Because we couldn't put up with two hours cold. Now, that's okay. I understand that. That's, that's the nature of OER. But some people are just meeting in the cold today, happy to be together for the body of Christ. In secret, in places where, you know, if you read, I don't know if you've been reading in the news this week, but even in BBC News, there's some stuff about um, uh, the persecution of the church in China that's beginning to rise again as communism uh, begins, uh, as the new leader begins to uh, exert a stronghold. You know, what we take for granted as the church is, is precious to God and uh, is spreading worldwide. It's an amazing thing. And so I want to talk this morning really about um, uh, our heart for the church. And that's a funny thing to talk about, but I think it's important because some of us just see church as buildings as we come on a Sunday if it suits us, but really we're the church. You could take the building away, but we would still be the church. Uh, you could, we could meet in threes and fours and we'd still be the church. You know, we're called to be together as God's people. We're called to share that and have an understanding for that. And in a society, uh, an increasingly secular society, where the place of the church is being threatened and marginalized, we need to understand what it is we're committed to. Because the Western society that we live in, and even in Great Britain, is seeking to restrict the church in our world and to say you can't be and you can't claim what you claim to be and so we face that very real situation it's hard to believe isn't it sitting here on a Sunday morning worshiping Jesus that people could take offense because we believe in God but people are taking offense because of what it means to believe in God and so we need to understand what it means to be part of a church community part of the church body that Jesus has because the church is God's idea the church is what he has established and it's for his reason and his purpose when you became a Christian when you joined the church you, you became you know the Bible says we were baptized into the church which is his body and you were brought in so that you could have a purpose in God Ephesians 3 verse 10 tells us what God wants the church to be it says his intent was the that now, through the church, important, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow, what a big verse. It's a bit cosmic. He's saying, listen, God's intention was that the church should display his wisdom to the world. 
That's amazing, isn't it? Have a look at somebody beside you and recognize that they're displaying the wisdom of God. You need to look deeper than that. We're displaying the wisdom of God. You know, that's what God's called us to be. He's, he's, he's put the church together so that actually we would reflect and display to the world. How do we do that? We do that by presenting the love of God to a world that maybe doesn't want to receive it. We do that by living according to the values and the spirit of Jesus in a world that maybe doesn't accept those values. We do that by proclaiming the hope that God's put deep within us that actually there is something more to life than these 70 or 80 years that were given. And actually we've come to faith in him for eternal life. That's how we do it. That's the purpose of the church. And we make known even to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. You know, there are principalities and powers. There are spiritual beings today who look on at the church and say, I can't believe God's plan was these people. Don't you love that? Can't believe that God decided he was going to redeem and use people who are all messed up and screwed up. That's not you. That's the person next to you. They need to hear that, don't they? People who fail, people who get it wrong, people who make mistakes, people who who do the wrong thing rather than the right thing, people who try their best but still screw up. Hey, anybody in that bracket today? Listen, that's the church. All we are is saved by the grace of God. And therefore, the demons look on, the principalities and powers of heaven look on, and they just say, why did God use these people? It's because he loves us. And so I want, under, I want you to understand the high estimation that, that God has for the church, the high uh, reckoning that Jesus has for the church. Jesus proclaimed that he would build his church. I love that verse because it's his business, not ours. We just have to partner with him. You know, Jesus is building his church. Sometimes you drive around and we look at um, churches that have become carpet warehouses and restaurants. Don't you love it, the fact that St. Werberg's used to be, you know, was a church, then it became a shopping arcade, then it became a Chinese restaurant. It was a great Chinese restaurant, by the way. Um, but don't you love it today that there's people over the road worshiping Jesus? Because Jesus is building his church. You know, isn't it wonderful? We're going to meet there tonight as uh, the church is in the city, and we're going to pray, and we're going to praise, and we're going to proclaim, you know what? God has a plan, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And no matter what we see, and no matter what we look at, no matter what we're drawn to, and sometimes it's good, and sometimes it's bad, because there are challenges in life, and Jesus told us that would always be the case. No matter what it is, Jesus believes in the church. And it's his precious thing that he's holding on to today, and that we have to hold on. And so we see the church is the hope of the world. It's not an institution. It's not an organization. It's not something that we just turn up to. It's not a building. It's God's plan to display his power. Think about the words used to describe the church in the Bible. It talks about the temple, a place of worship and encounter with God. That's a wonderful thing about being a worshiping people. The church is where we worship God. It's where we gather together. Now, see, I I know that we can worship on our own, friends, but there's something different when we come together. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. When you come together with God's people and you start to sing, and uh, all of a sudden the sense of the presence of God comes, and that sense of camaraderie, that sense of fellowship in the Spirit, that sense of being joined with people who maybe you would never be with in any other realm of life, but today you're proclaiming and worshiping God. All of a sudden we become a worshiping community because the Spirit of God is within us. It talks about a family. We become, we become a place of belonging together. We become a place of sharing together. We become a place of supporting and loving one another and helping one another. And that there is, um, you know, the Bible says, uh, do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of God. There's a place in our lives for esteeming and helping one another at a special level within the family of God. 
It's part of the call of God upon our lives. He talks about a bride, this picture of the church as a bride. Come on, Ben, get your heads around that one. Got my nice dress on. What it means is we're loved and precious to God. What it means is that God is going to work at presenting us to him like a father presents his bride on her wedding day, spotless and radiant and beautiful because we're so precious to him. That's what it means. We're a bride. We're so precious to God. He loves us. Talks about a body. Talks about the image of a body. The church is the body of Christ. In other words, we've been all positioned together to make, to give us potential and purpose in God. Because the body has to do something. The body has to work. And, and therefore, God has framed us together that we would be. And it's those images that present us what uh, the Lord wants the church to be. Peter describes it like this. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. What a lovely picture of the church. You know, sometimes we forget that when we just come in on another Sunday, don't we? All right, got to go to church today. No, we need to remember, actually, it's great. I'm joining together today with the body of Christ. I'm coming together as the bride of Christ, loved by God, precious to him. I'm coming together into the temple of God, a place where we are being built into the holy temple where we can worship and encounter God in his presence for our very selves. I'm joining with my family today, with people who we share together, with people who are united together in the spirit. It's great to be the family with people, you know, because uh, it's like you're true. You know, they say you can choose your family. Uh, you, you, can't choose, you can choose your friends. You can't choose your family. It's the same in church. You know, I mean, it's a bit different because you hate all of us. You can go to another church and hate them there too. That's fine. But you see, there's something about being family, isn't it? You know, you have to just say, you know what, I, I, I want to belong here. I, I, you know, I, I'm, I've been put in this family. I can share together. I can learn to love. I can learn to grow. I can find support. I can find help. I can find instruction. And this, I can find all of that because I'm part of the body of Christ. It's that image that God gives to us. Jesus had great passion for the house of God, for the church. And in his day, it was represented by the temple, but today it's represented by us by the people of God. There's this great story when Jesus came to Jerusalem. Uh, John chapter 2 tells us this. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And in the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all of them from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Was he having a bad day? To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. He wasn't having a bad day. He was remembering that actually the house of God is a special place. That actually when God's people come together to worship him, it's something much more significant than just a social or a commercial occasion. And so he drove them out. He said to them, I will not have you here. And it's an amazing picture of Jesus driving all these people out and their cattle and their sheep. Get out. He must have had some force, mustn't he? Just one man driving them out of the temple courts. Because he wouldn't accommodate that. And his disciples said, his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house consumes me. Quoting Psalm 69 verse 9, zeal for your house consumes me. I wonder what it is, how you feel about the house of God today. I wonder do you dare put zeal in the description that you have for the people of God. 
Because that's the description that Jesus had. That's how he saw it, the people of God. See, see, church is not something that when we become Christians, the house of God, the dwelling place of God, the people of God, it isn't just like this, well, you know, I go there, um, but actually it's actually I'm passionate for what is precious to the Lord. If it's important to God, it's important to me. And so therefore we have to come and, and start trying to figure out what, that, what that's really about for us. Not the building, but the people. If the church is God's plan for revealing his wisdom and power to the world, then we need to make sure that it's our plan as well. That actually we're committed to that if we're going to do what God's called us to do. Jesus spoke about how our hearts connect with what is really important to us. One of my favorite verses in the Bible where it says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. In other words, what we value in life is where our investment goes. You know, if we value our hobby, it becomes our, it becomes our heart connection. You know, people will travel for hours to watch a game of football. Don't think anything of it. Why? Because their heart is invested in it. Nothing wrong with that. Not criticizing it. It's fine. People will spend thousands of pounds to go to the latest concert, to be in there, because it's a heart passion. They invest in it. And the more you do it, the more it connects your heart to it. Have you ever noticed? You get a little hobby. You start to kind of get involved. And all of a sudden, before you know, all your extra money is going out, your time is going out. It's something. Why, why is that? It's because you're obsessed. Well, it's because your heart has connected with it. And where your treasure is, there your heart is. It's a, it's a life principle. It's just true in life that what we value, what we love, what we get excited about, our hearts connect. And when our hearts connect, we then give everything and invest more of ourselves in it. Therefore, we need to recognize that what's important to God needs to connect with our heart. And that's why we've called today a heart for the house, a heart for the church, a heart for the purposes of God in our lives and in our circumstances and in the situation that God has given us. And so Acts 2.42, which we read just a little bit earlier, gives us a picture of the early church and its heart for God. And so I just want to try and pull a few things out of it. Um, I think there are some, uh, just a couple of slides that will follow that. Um, heart for the house, uh, Ben, you'll find it down the bottom. It says this, first of all, they had a heart for the presence of God. A heart for the presence of God. Acts 2.46, every day they continued to meet together in temple courts They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. What an amazing thing. They had a heart for the presence of God. You know, the most important thing we have as Christians is the presence of God in our lives. Our faith brings into our lives his presence. Um, And it brings his presence as a fact, as a theological truth, but it also brings his presence as a relational connection. And so therefore, we as the people of God have got to start to say, I I have a heart for the presence of God. It's a lovely picture. It says every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, and then they broke bread in their homes. What a lovely picture. This this large-scale gathering and this small-scale group of people coming together in the temple courts, big, expansive place, hundreds of people gathered, worshiping. But then the next day, at home, together. What a radical view of the church, that they met together to worship. That they, they left the temple courts and they said, oh, I'm looking forward to worshiping with some of the people of God this week. Because we want to be in the presence of God. Now, now can I just be a little bit provocative today? Well, I'm going to be anyway. Have you got a heart for the presence? 
A heart for the presence of God that goes beyond a Sunday meeting, but actually wants to be together with the people of God. Because you recognize that the presence of God comes. Now, you know what? One of the biggest challenges to faith in our lives, if I'm honest, is the busyness of our Western society. Because we're all just flying up. You ever ever got on the motorway sometimes, going somewhere else, and just looked at all the people beside you in the traffic jams, sitting there, looking straight ahead, thinking to yourself, man alive, I am shattered. We're just killing ourselves. Now, I I, I, I haven't got any answers for that. But what I do suggest is that somewhere in the midst of our priorities, we have to say, I have a heart for the presence of God. And, and, you know, we make a lot of, um, you know, personal devotion and all of that. But actually, there's also a place in the Scripture. In fact, it's really interesting. Don't want to be too controversial. Um, But actually, when you find them reading their Bibles and praying in the Scripture, they were together. Not on their own. Oh, don't want to upset everybody this morning. But actually, I would suggest to you there is more value in reading your Bible with someone than on your own. Because if you remember, most of them didn't actually have the Scriptures at this stage. They heard the Scriptures when they gathered together. But you see, we have a natural tendency to independence. And so we exclude other people from our lives so we can just have our own little devotion. Now, friends, there's nothing wrong with that, but actually the more powerful thing is to be together because Jesus said where two or three are gathered together, I'm in the midst. His presence manifests more greatly when we gather. And so we need to try and kind of like understand that in our lives. See, the presence of God is a thing that sets us apart. Moses said in... um, Uh, Exodus chapter 3, to the Lord, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with us unless unless you go with us? What else will distinguish us from all the other people on the face of the earth? That's an amazing thing, isn't it? He said, truthfully, it's the presence of God that sets the church apart. See, it's not what we do so much as who we are. It's the presence of God. When people come into our services, I don't know if they're attracted to God in our singing, in our preaching. They're certainly not attracted by the pastoral team. What they're drawn to is the presence of God. It's only the presence of God that can change people's heart. It's only the presence of God that can reveal people. Why do we gather and worship and give ourselves to worship? Because we believe that as we worship, God is manifestly present in our midst. And people who are far away from him start to feel the drawing of his presence just because they're not used to that. And we often are used to it. We're acclimatized. But actually some people, why? Because his presence is in the house. That's why sometimes when somebody, you just come and pray with someone and all of a sudden the presence of God is manifest. It's just you and them. But all of a sudden they know the manifest presence of God because by faith you're speaking the presence of God into people's lives. It changes things. We need to have a heart for his presence. This is the faith element of our worship. Without faith, it's impossible to believe God, to please God, sorry. For anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. In other words, as we come together and we have a heart together for his presence, God starts to reveal himself to those who seek him. We gather together, we share together his, his presence among us that allows us to know his presence. Now, I know we can know the presence of God on our own as we pray, and I'm not against that. Please don't. That's not what I'm saying this morning. But I am saying that actually it's in, it's in the church that we come to a closer encounter of who he is as we meet together with God's people 
And that, and that doesn't mean in a church service like this. That might mean three of you in a restaurant having a meal and sharing together about Jesus. But there's a fellowship in it. There's a sense of being together. There is strength, encouragement, and a greater awareness. How good and pleasant it is when people dwell together in unity. For there the Lord commands his blessing. In other words, when people, God's people to come together in unity of spirit, and as we worship, actually the presence of God is released. And his blessing rests upon his people, the blessing of his presence. Number two, we need to have a heart for his people. I love this. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. We're going to have uh, the breaking of bread a bit later. But I want to talk about the F word today, fellowship. You know, fellowship is one of those funny little biblical words, but actually it's such an important thing. Fellowship is the Greek word koinonia, and it means to share, to contribute, to participate. And there's a great verse, I think it's 1 Corinthians 12, it says, um, maybe 14, don't quote me on it. It's in there somewhere. Um, it says, when you come together, everyone has a hymn, a psalm, a spiritual song, a prayer, a word of instruction. What it says is actually all of us have a contribution to be together in the people of God. Now, here's the deal, friends. We can't all do that on a Sunday morning. I mean, we could start over here with uh, Paul. He could bring a spiritual song. And then we go along the row. I don't know how many of us would be left by the time we got to Jay. But, you know, we can't all make room for that. So what does it mean? It says, actually, there needs to be a place where actually we share our lives with God's people. It needs to be an intentional thing in our lives. Because it's in that context that we can bring something, that we can say something. See, part of the problem with just doing church like this is that you become passive. The band play, the preacher preach. If you've got a need, you come and we'll pray for you. And that's fine, it's biblical. But actually, it just becomes about receiving, not giving. And Christianity is about both those things, receiving and giving. And so therefore, if you're going to be a part of the church, you have to have a heart for the people of the church. The Bible actually says, if you don't love uh, people who you can see, you can't love God. Maybe you need to have a look around and go, okay, I need to try harder. It's hard, isn't it? It's a challenge. You see, it's hard to have a heart for the people. And I just want to say to you that, honestly, the spirit of the age is creeping into the church because actually we're more self-centered than we are other-centered. Oh, amen, Dave. Great point. That was, that was just true. Sometimes we have a bigger heart for ourselves than we do for the people of God and for the people around us. Now, I'm not saying we have to be stupid. I'm not saying we have to open our homes and have somebody there every day for dinner, although I'm available. But what I am saying is, is that actually we need to make sure we involve our lives with other brothers and sisters. And actually there's an investment of our heart. Because what happens, and I've seen that, I've been a pastor for 26 years. I've been in church for 53. I was there when I was a week old. Sometimes it feels like I haven't left. But I've seen it, friends, that people don't invest in fellowship. In other, in other words, I mean, because like, here's the truth. Going to Costa and talking about what happened in Coronation Street is not fellowship. I mean, part of it is friendship, and that's good. But actually, the fellowship means you also need to say, hey, I need you to pray for me because my life is all over the place today, and I feel very challenged about following Jesus. That's all it is. But that's a bit harder, isn't it? It's being a bit more real about your faith. It's being willing to say, I need to be just slightly vulnerable today because actually I'm a bit disappointed in God, and I, I, I just need someone to pray with me. Would you do that? Everybody's looking at their toes now. Because it's, it's fellowship. It's something. See, the truth is I find that people can talk almost about anything apart from their spiritual lives. Apart from where they are with God. 
because they feel people are going to criticize them. You know what I find when I share my problems, and I have a lot of them, when I talk about my doubts and failures and weaknesses, has the biggest effect on the church. I get people coming up to me saying, Pastor, thank you for sharing that because I have just that. If I try and make it look as if I'm a man of God who never has any problems, everybody just goes, oh, he's so godly, isn't he? No one thinks that in this church. I understand. I've been here a long time. But people, you, look, you can look as if you're great, but actually all of us, the truth is we need fellowship. Listen, I have five people in my life. That's four. Five. Five people in my life who I see and I commit to see. I commit to see them all the time. And they phone me and they say, how are you doing? And I'll go, I'm doing bad. I need some help. I need you to pray for me. I text people, pray for me. I'm having a day. I want to follow Jesus, but my heart is broken. I'm bruised and battered. Pray for me. I have to invest at a high level. Why? Because I have a heart for the people of God. I realize that if I neglect the people of God, I neglect myself. And I want to say to you, church, there is a pressure on people to disengage from church today, apart from occasional Sunday service. It's really interesting. I'm not having a go at anybody because you're here today, so you're, you're okay, aren't you? But, you know, um, the attendance in church has dropped significantly. Now, we're full today, which is great. But actually, if everybody's here as part of our church, we'd have to have two services. But it's just that the attitude to the heart for the people of God struggles. Now, hey, if you're a visitor this morning, you've come for the first time, please, uh, I'm not going to go at you. It's great to have you with us. I'm not going to anybody. I'm just trying to share with you that actually to have a heart for the church means to have a heart for the people of God, which means actually you have to give to the people around you. You have to say, you know what? It's important for me. It's important to know what's going on in your life. I'm going to care for you. It doesn't mean you have to care for everybody because you can't. But it means I'm going to be committed to a group of people that I can share and walk my life with and give myself to. A heart for his people. And that, that being together, that fellowship provides support and care for one another. Because we have, can I tell you, we have at the moment a pastoral model that, that means that the pastor has to do everything. Which was never the biblical tension. You see, if you've got a group of friends around you, you don't need me. You might meet, you might meet me in an emergency when you want the pastor to come and pray for you. Well, that's okay. We can do that. But actually, the people you'll, you'll speak to first are your friends and church, your brothers and sisters. Now, listen, I don't mind supporting anybody, but actually, there's only so many people I can support. See, and it comes because we don't have enough fellowship in our lives. Now, one of the great strengths of this church, and let me, I don't want to embarrass anybody today, but there are people who've been in this church for 40 years, and you've had a network of friends over 40 years that have equipped you and that have sustained you through thick and thin, through good and bad, through death and disease. You know who they are. You know what's gone on. The younger generation today hasn't got that. So I'm saying to you, younger generation, I'm saying to you people of families, you need to build strong relationships to have fellowship. You need to have a heart for the people of God. Not, not just, you know, listen, it's great to have as many friends as you like. Of course it is. But actually, you need to have fellowship with people who can support you in your faith because your faith is the most precious thing you have. See, we forget that. Without Jesus, we have nothing. Without our faith in his salvation, we have nothing. So therefore, we have to have a heart for the people of God. I need to move on. Someone's put that there. I'm not going to get through that gap without knocking things over. So I'm going to go this way. It says, every day they continue to meet together. See, see each of us need one another. The Bible says, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And then it says this, the eye cannot say to the ear, I don't need you. 
The hand cannot say to the foot, I don't need you. It doesn't really matter what part you are, because sometimes, you know, we don't have much choice about the part that we have. What matters is that we need one another. And you'll see people in church who are very different to you and who maybe you don't want to go out for a cup of coffee with and spend an hour with. That's okay. Just understand that you need them. Understand that they're part of the body of Christ. They're part of the people of God. And therefore, have a heart for one another. Have a recognize that the body of Christ is working together to do what God has called us to do. Jesus told us that we would demonstrate our love for him by the love we have for one another. For the people of God. So I want to challenge you today. Do you have a heart for the people? Or, or, or is following Jesus now simply reduced to an attendance of a service? Uh, and what happens? Actually, you know what? I don't think that's good enough anymore. I don't think that's what it should be. I think actually it should be, hey, you know what? I'm going to share my life with people who should follow Jesus too. However I do it, whatever context that is. It, it's not important how, how we do that as much as... You see, the Bible says, uh, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. It was even a problem in the early church. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You see, there's a tendency just to be me and Jesus, me and Jesus, me and Jesus, especially in our self-centered society, which is really all about me. But the Scripture tells us it's not about just me and Jesus, it's about us and Jesus. It's about me. See, you can't encourage somebody if you don't meet with them. Hello? Be encouraged this morning. You're meeting with me. You, you, can't, you can't help someone. You can't spur someone on if, if you never talk about Jesus. You can't find out if someone's struggling if you never ask them a question. How are you doing in your faith? Are you walking okay? See, if we never talk about these things, and what happens is we want the professionals to deal with that. Oh, they've got a problem. They can talk to the pastor. Well, listen, the pastor might not be the best person to talk to. Maybe they're better off talking to a friend. Maybe they're better off talking to someone who actually they've got fellowship with, someone who's prayed with them and shared with them. See, it's much more natural. But if you haven't got a heart for the people of God, then what happens is you remove yourself and you come into professionalism. And as soon as you judge the pastor on a professional basis, let me tell you, you'll be disappointed. Well, he's never there when I need him. It's probably true. Because it's all about what he can do for you. Listen, it's not all about what I can do for you. That's not what a pastor is there for. A pastor is there to encourage and shepherd and protect and lead and feed the flock. Not there to fix all the problems. Sometimes he's there to pick the maggots off the sheep. It's a great picture for you. But he can't fix all the problems. But actually, if we've got a heart for the people, then we don't actually need the pastor to do any of those little intimate jobs because actually we have people. That's why the Bible says, therefore, um, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you'll be healed. It doesn't say call for the pastor and get counseling. Because here's the truth. If you confess your sin to the friend who's sitting next to you and said, would you pray for me? You don't need me, friend. Because actually the people of God are ministering. My little clock's gone red now. And I haven't finished. Thirdly, a heart for his purpose. Acts 2.47, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, we need to remember that we're part of the church because we have a purpose. His intent was that he would display the wisdom of God. We don't come to church for ourselves. We come to church for the world. 
We're part of the body of Christ because we are the people of God who have a purpose from him to declare his kingdom, to make disciples of other people, to show the love of Jesus, to demonstrate it in a million different ways. It doesn't matter how we do it, but what it means is that we are here. It's amazing, uh, you know, um, as you read it in Acts chapter 2, amazing what happened. People got saved and add to the church daily. Isn't that amazing? Oh, it's amazing, Dave. Thanks. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great in saying instead of 40 people got saved this year, we're saying 365 people got saved, one every day. That's what was happening in the church. There's probably more than that. Wasn't it amazing? Because there's a heart for the purposes of God. Actually, we want to see people saved. When was the last time you prayed for someone to be saved? When was the last time you said, God, I want to see some people come into the kingdom, come and have the hope and forgiveness that I've had. I want it because that's what a heart for the purposes of God means. God, wouldn't it be great if my next door neighbors came to the Christmas carol conference? Wouldn't it be great if we carried that conviction? It's a heart conviction. We can't stir that up. We can only say, you know what, Lord, I need to, I need to invest a little bit more in this because it becomes more important as you invest. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That was what was happening in Acts chapter 2. It says people were getting prayed for and healed and ministered to. They were getting their needs met. They were getting uh, healed and, and, and recovered and restored. It's the ministry of Jesus. And Jesus has called us to follow him and to allow him to use us for the sake of his kingdom. Remember the scripture when he said, I will make, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He's called us to be part of his church so that we could do the purposes of God. It's, 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 not, it's not a pressure, friends. It's a, it's a lifestyle. It's not we'd have to go out tomorrow and go, okay, I've got to lead five people to Jesus today or else I'm a bad person. That's not what we're talking about. It's, you know what? I want to live for the cause of Christ. I want to just be aware in my life that actually God's surrounding me with people who need to feel loved by God. And I can be that person. I don't have to tell them they're a sinner and they're going to hell and if they would die tonight, that might come, become relevant, but actually what they first need to know is actually God cares. And they might need to know that you care enough to talk to them. It's amazing, isn't it, when you talk to people. I'm, I'm a pretty antisocial person. Hard to believe, isn't it? But I can be fine just, you know, I hate going to parties, sitting in, if you're going to be a party, you'll find me in the, in the corner with a bowl of crisps. Best place in any party, that's what I say. Don't have to talk to anybody, do you know what I mean? I, but you know, I've had to learn, actually people love it when you take an interest in their lives. If you haven't got a friend or you don't, talk to someone, take an interest in someone, ask them how they are. It doesn't take much, does it? Because people love to be loved. That's why you love to be loved. That's why sometimes you're waiting for people to talk to you so that you can feel loved. Here's the deal. The Bible says if we give, we will receive. So you love someone else and instantly all of a sudden people will love you back. We've got to try and do what God's called us to do. We've got to have a heart for his purpose. Jesus calls his disciples to follow him. A heart for the house means that we are living for something greater than ourselves. Than ourselves. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. See, the calling of God is to have a heart for his purpose. To say, Lord, as I live for you, I will proclaim your hope in my life 
don't have to tell everything every don't have to answer don't have to be able to answer everybody every problem no you just have to say this one thing i know i i i've found faith in christ and he's changed my life that's all you have to say because actually i want to serve the purpose of god so we see a heart for his presence so in our church we call that connecting with him we want to connect with god in our worship in our prayer in our devotion to him we, we want people to be drawn to the presence of God among us. We want to host the presence of God well. That's why we want to make room for prophecy and spiritual gifts and, and uh, a worship moment where we just all know the presence of God's with us. That's why we try and preach for transformation and change. We want people to connect with him. We've got to have a heart for his people. We want to grow together. We want to be people who are in that community of faith where it's okay to have a bad day and it's okay to have a good day. It's okay to share what we're learning and say, I don't really understand that. Can somebody help me? It's a growing community. It's people who are sharing what they have come to know and believe in God. And there's a willingness and an understanding to reach out to one another. It's a heart for his purpose to serve others, to give ourselves to the purposes of God, to say, how can I use my life to touch the lives of other people with God's love? Because that's what he's called me to do and to be. Jesus was zealous for his house. Let's have a heart for the house of God today. In a few moments, we're going to come and take communion together. The Bible says that, you know, we are taking of the body of Christ because he is one, we are one with him. And these emblems speak of that unity that we have. The Bible tells us to do this in remembrance of him, to do that recognizing that he's brought us together as his church, as his people, so that we can love him with full hearts and worship him and that this morning we can find grace for our lives and mercy if we need it that we join together as his people we're one body this represents his body broken for us but it's in its breaking it actually brought us together that we might be the people of god that we might love one another and share for one another it talks of his purpose that jesus came to die for sinners I wonder would the band come back? We're going to sing this lovely song, Oh, Come to the Altar.